My name is Elle, and I'm a transgender woman talking about fear. Um, I'm a person who has a lot of fear. Uh, we've established that uh, probably pretty well, pretty closely on the podcast so far. Um, I have a lot of current fears that are going on in my life. Maybe you can relate. I've talked a lot about them so far. Um, one of the ones that's recently popped up has been this uh, Pew Research article. I saw it come across my feed, I think maybe on Reddit or something, but then I found out that it's a year old, which is like the most Reddit thing ever, you know, like it, you know, people post stuff to get points or whatever. Um, but anyway, it was a, it was a Pew Research article about Americans' perceptions of gender and trans people. And one of the things that I saw that was, you know, a, a little bit disappointing or incredibly disappointing was that um, one of the questions it asked was, you know, is, uh, is um, a person is a man or a woman and that is designated by their sex at birth, right? And um, steadily, people have been actually increasing in their perception of that, if that makes any sense. So, like, more and more folks are saying, yeah, it's determined by your sex at birth, and specifically that it cannot be, uh, or that it cannot be different from the sex assigned at birth, that, that like sex and gender are the same thing. And so that, that kind of trend worries me because over the, you know, the last few years, we've been more and more visible. And I think that our hope would be that people would be moving in the direction toward inclusion. But according to this Pew Research study, um, the general, I mean, the overall average is that we're moving in the opposite direction, which brings up fear for me. Um, you know, uh, it's just, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, one of the things that came up in this, uh, in this Pew Research study um, reflected on whether or not folks think that society has gone too far in accepting transgender people. Um, so there's about a third who say, you know, society hasn't gone far enough, which is great. It feels like we're, you know, supported or, or so. But then there's a, an equal amount of people who say we've gone, the society has gone too far in accepting trans people, um, which is, you know, really concerning. <laughs> it's re It really bothers me and it makes me feel afraid. Um, so I, I guess... There are lots of fears that I have. Um, and as I think about fear, um, one of the things that comes to mind is actually a list of fears that I created when I was kind of going through my questioning process or I was trying to ask and, and make sense of my gender. You know, my fear actually kept me from from asking the question, am I transgender, for a really, really long time, at least asking it in such a way where I was open to whatever answer came my way. Um, you know, that question had come up a lot, and sort of my way of, of dealing with it or relating to it was, well, I'm, I'm probably transgender, but I don't need to transition. I'm probably transgender, but I can... 
I can be a, uh, like a feminine man or I, I'm just a different type of boy than all the rest of the boys. Like it was, you know, this is probably me, but you know, I, I'm not going to really go into much detail on that. I'm not going to go down that road. Um, and that itself is fear. Um, so I wanted to talk today a little bit about uh, some of these fears that I had prior to transition, some of the things that it kept me in kind of in lockstep and uh, or kept me in the status quo. And I'm going to reflect a little bit on how I processed them. Um, but honestly, like we could spend a whole episode on every single one of them. And I don't know, maybe, maybe we should, um, maybe you could let me know, uh, which one of these or which ones of these would be particularly helpful for you uh, to hear me go on a deeper dive. Um, but I guess it was really helpful to me. Um, and honestly, like part of what I did was I made a, a list, I made a big spreadsheet of the things that I'm, I'm afraid of. And, um, they were part of the things, they were like almost like agenda items that I would take to therapy. I would go to therapy and I would say, okay, I'm feeling this thing or I'm thinking about this thing. Let's talk this through. Let's, um, you know, like see whether or not uh, it's realistic, if it's unrealistic, um, challenge it, replace it, restructure it, verify it, contextualize it or, or whatever. Um, but it was really important to, for me to attend to all of these things. Um, and so, I mean, maybe that might be true for you, especially if you're pre-transitioned to, to sort of think about like, well, what are the things that I'm afraid of? And it might be that, that hearing me reflect a little bit on some of the things that I was afraid of will help you to like identify maybe some of what's going on for you. So, uh, there you go. Um, fear, fears, things that I was afraid of. So uh, one of the things that, that was helpful for me is um, just a bit of language. So um, oftentimes when we use the word, or maybe even almost always, when we use the words, what if, blah, 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 what if, um, that indicates fear. Now, it may, it may not always be fear underneath that, but generally, um, the emotion that's driving what-if questions is fear. And so, if you're asking yourself, what if, blah, 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 what if, blah, 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 um, that's something you might be able to identify that just by the fact that you're saying what if and say, oh, that's a fear and maybe maybe write it down, maybe keep track of it. Um, you know, and that, that's not the only way of identifying fear, but I think it's a really common one and sometimes it's overlooked. Um, there's some other more complicated stuff, you know, like sometimes when we get really angry or when we look really angry, it's fear going on underneath. You know, we, we cover, you know, f fear is... Um, kind of like sadness, it's a, it's a, it's a quite a vulnerable emotion. And so our, our tendency often can be to try to cover that up and, you know, overcompensate or undercompensate or whatever. Um, so that's kind of, okay, now, uh, you know, therapy, therapy mode, we're, we're going to step out of that now. Um, <laughs> Um, so, uh, I'm just going to go through, I have a whole list of some of the fears. I'm not going to get to everyone that was on my spreadsheet. 
um, but I'm going to get to some of them. Um, one of my fears, one of my big ones was sort of implied in that what I was talking about just a moment ago about being reluctant to even ask the question, honestly, am I trans? And that's that I had this fear that um, asking the question or exploring it or being honest or like, you know, trying on women's clothes or shaving my legs or whatever, um, that doing any of those behaviors was like opening up Pandora's box. I kind of had this all or nothing thinking a little bit. And I had this just really, really intense fear that if I just barely cracked the door open, that the whole thing would be uh, done and decided and I wouldn't be able to control it anymore. And so like repressing it was sort of my coping mechanism for that. So I gotta, I gotta keep it all inside that box um, because if I even crack the lid a tiny bit, it's all going to explode. Well, I mean, I guess in a way it kind of did. <laughs> um, but I also think that my soul kind of knew that. And that's part of why it felt so scary. Because I, I think that my soul, some part of me knew that that's what needed to happen and what I needed to do. Um, but I remember I had this, there's this uh, show I remember a long time ago I saw with Dr. Phil and it had um, a woman and her husband slash wife who is a transgender woman and essentially talking about how she, the, the wife was talking, you know, painfully and crying and, um, you know, so sad and so upset that like, um, there was this moment where she let her husband try on her panties and it was from that moment forward that everything changed and he, you know, he could, he couldn't be stopped and that was just, you know, that was the end of it. And, and so my takeaway from that, I don't know when I watched that show, maybe I was 25 years old or something, but my takeaway from that show was like, never put on panties. Like, never, never crack open Pandora's box, because if I do, then everything's going to fall apart. And, you know, like, working through, um, you know, working through this fear w was a little bit about being honest about what was likely to happen when I, if I came out and transitioned. Um, but also, um, some of it had to do with, like, doing a little bit of education about how gender is not this rigid binary. And like, I, I knew that, like I knew that there were different ways of performing gender and I knew that there were different types of men and different types of women. Um, I don't, I think probably at the time I, I saw it pretty binary, but, but part of the work at that time was sort of to see that there was more of a spectrum, right? And that, um, that I could like experiment, like I didn't have to change how I was presenting myself. I didn't have to um, sort of take on um, this true identity uh, or change my identity, however you want to say it. Um, that I, you know, I could buy a pink shirt. I could go get a manicure. I could wear my hair longer. Like I could do things that felt more feminine. And it wasn't like, I it wasn't like an all or nothing thing, and that was that was really important. That was a really important early on to help deal with some of my fears. Um, 
I remember I had one fear uh, that actually kept me um, kept me curious. That was actually it was almost like a, a helpful fear because it it kept me engaged and engaged in the process. And it was what happens if I repress it again now? Because it it had kind of been like this recurring rhythm and cycle in my life. You know, I there were times where I went you know, months or maybe even a year not thinking uh, intensely or, or not having really intense dysphoria, but then it would all come race back. And, and like I said, one of the ways that I dealt with it was through repression. You know, I just, you know, stuffed it all down. And so I had this fear that like, okay, so, so it's come to, it's come to a head again in my life, right? It's come to this inflection point. And, and maybe I can, you know, with the help of the therapist and whatever, maybe I can like, crush it all back down into the box and maybe I can repress it all back down but then what happens in 10 years you know what happens when I'm 49 and I'm another 10 years down the road or what ha- what happens when I'm 59 and I'm 20 years down the road and it comes back again because it keeps happening and you know like there are a lot of women who transition at 50 or 60 or 70 or whatever um also in terms of medical transition and um you know the effects of hormone therapy and so on and so forth like it's generally appreciated that like the younger you are the mo- the more striking um the impacts are and the less things feel like they need to be like corrected if you will and um and so just thinking forward about god what if i end up in this same mental headspace where i've i've lived the last 10 years as a man and here i am again i'm 10 years further along 10 more years of testosterone on my body 10 more years of of you know not knowing how relationships would respond etc so that fear actually kept me kind of on the road. Um, I was afraid, and another fear was, uh, I was afraid that I was an imposter, or that I wasn't trans enough, or that I, I couldn't fully justify um, transitioning, right? Um, uh, and this is, I think, a really common fear. You know, what if... Um, it's maybe not really a what if, but like sort of this fear that other trans people were more are more valid than I am, that I'm not trans enough. In fact, there was a podcast uh, that I listened to for a while, uh, several times actually, um, by the Gender Rebels. Um, I really enjoyed listening to their show um, all through my transition. Listened to uh, what's their names, Cat and. Faith, I think it's Cat and Faith. Um, anyway, the Gender Rebels. I'll I'll link their show in the show notes. But they have they have a great vibe going. But they're a married couple, um, one cis woman, one trans woman, and they have a they have an episode that's called "Am I Trans Enough?" And it sort of dives into these themes of like because we have these perceptions out there of what it's supposed to be to be trans and what it, what a trans person's experience is like and you're supposed to have you know ripped off your clothes when you were little and only worn a dress or only not worn a dress or whatever and you know my experience was my experience and there were some ways in which it matched up with the overall narrative but there are other ways in which it didn't 
And so I, I was afraid that I was an imposter, right? Another fear. Um, so anyway, listening to their show helped me with that fear. That's was kind of my point. Um, I was afraid that that transition would be ineffective at treating dysphoria, right? So at some point along the way, you know, I sort of came to have peace that like, yes, what I'm experiencing is gender dysphoria. That's what it's called. That's what this experience is. And okay, so given that, what are the things that we know are effective um, to treating it? You know, what are the things that we know about to make it uh, you know, reduce or go away. And of course, like, you know, the, the far right um, political caucus, the conservative Christian preachers have, have one view that's like essentially some version of, of conversion therapy and repression, which I had tried for many, many years. Um, and it had not helped at all. Um, and it had just continued to grow and get worse. Um, but I didn't know if like medical transition or social transition would actually make the dysphoria go away. And so I had this fear, like, what if I end up just as unhappy and just as depressed as I will in the future as I am now? Um, and that's a real fear. Maybe you're, you've experienced some of that fear. Um, it's one, it's a question that comes up often when we think about what medical interventions do we want, right? Because we don't know, like, we may do something that's irreversible in hopes that it will resolve dysphoria. And we don't know for sure on the other side of that if it will happen or not. And, you know, there are a lot of aspects of medical transition that are irre irreversible, there are some where, you know, things will go back. I mean, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, you, you take, like, for trans feminine people, we take hormones, and, you know, the biggest thing that's irreversible is breast growth. Um, but if you don't do anything else, you, you know, the hair will regrow, and you'll start making sperm again and everything. Um, you just might have, you know, boobs or a little bit of boobs. Um, so you know, there's that. Obviously, most surgeries are not really reversible or not, you know, they're effectively not reversible. Um, so, you know, what happens then? And one of the things that was actually really helpful for me in dealing with that fear uh, was a study that was put out by Cornell, which was like one of the biggest looks at um, all the different studies. It was like um, a meta-analysis, I think it's called, where you look at all of the material that's out there and sort of try to pull it together and coalesce it into a theme. And and what this Cornell study, and it's this Cornell study is only two or three years old. Um, it's really brilliant. I will I will link it in the show notes. But it it provides an incredibly powerful case uh, for the the positive impact of gender transition for trans folks on reducing gender dysphoria. And, you know, the regret rates for surgeries, for example, are way, way, way lower than the regret rates for almost any other type of surgery. So, like, you get a, you know, people get their knees replaced, like, you know, they're changing their shoes. Um, and, there, the the com, you know, the the amount of people that regret giving their knee, getting their knees replaced, is much higher than the amount of people that regret getting trans, uh, transition related, gender affirming surgeries. Which, like, if you listen to, you know, Tucker Carlson or whatever other fucking asshole on the right, um, you would know that. 
you you would think that there are people that are regretting surgery left and right and like it isn't helping them but the overwhelming majority of people who who transition um are really happy with what they did or at least they're happy they're happier you know transition generally doesn't resolve every single ounce of dysphoria but it relieves a lot of it and it's the best known treatment that we have at this time for resolving it um so that helped me to put some of that at rest and then you know once i kind of started going you know when i first started to get on hormone therapy it was like oh my oh hello oh there you are and it was like it was me it was like it it there was no question i felt so much better so much more myself so that that helped to resolve um some of those even in the moment but it's almost like you know you you have to take the leap um on some of these fears but but at least having them in front of you and knowing what they are uh is really helpful um some of the other fears i had i mean we've talked i've talked on the show some about you know i'll never be able to pass i'm going to be a freak i'm too late people will look at me and be disgusted now a lot of transphobia in that fear and you know for me dealing with with fears related to that um it was dealing with my internalized transphobia and there was a lot of it right you know um, it, it was, it was really, it was really crazy, <laughs> you know, like I had to deal with a lot of internalized transphobia and I had to, inter- I had to deal with like feelings of disgust for people like me. And, um, so we, we've kind of already done that on previous episodes of the show. Go back and look at the ones about internalized transphobia. Go back and look at the ones about passing. We talk some about that. I had fears about not being able to get a job again, which, you know, for, for some of our trans ancestors, for our trans ancestors, um, that probably was more of a challenge. Um, in general, trans people are covered under... Um, I don't know, is it Title IX or Title VI? I don't know. But like we're generally considered in a lot of states a protected class where we can't be like fired, um, at least not directly based on discrimination. Um, my guess is that as a whole, trans people are still underemployed or, you know, make less money than our, you know, cis brethren and sistren and siblings. Um but, uh, you know, that, I don't know how realistic that fear is, but I definitely had this fear of, of financial ruin. And, and as you know, like for me, I was a pastor, so I was going to lose my career when I came out. I knew that that was almost certainly going to happen, which it did. Um, and so there, there were direct things. And, and in my case, you know, if you're a preacher, um, it's like the one job where transition is not protected. Like when you're, when you're a pastor, the church can decide to fire you for any reason, you know, they can decide cause it's like a religious freedom thing, you know? Um, so they are free to be transphobic. You know, if you like, you know, in, in like my tribe, like if you drink alcohol, you probably couldn't be a pastor. If you ate too much shrimp, you probably couldn't be a pastor. Like there's a lot of, you know, if you believe the wrong shit, like you can't be a pastor. So there's a lot of stuff that, 
could lead to your ousting. Um, so, you know, I suppose that like, you know, merely believing that it was okay to transition, even if I hadn't transitioned would be grounds enough to fire me. Um, but you know, and, and here I am, like it's, it's nearly two years later from when I first went on leave and I still don't have full-time work. I'm in school, I'm in therapy school and I'm probably six months away from being able to work full-time again. Um, which is, you know, it's a, that's a little bit scary. Um, related to that, I had fears of, of having inadequate health care, right? Or, or not enough access to health care. Um, and like, you know, right now I have a COBRA policy that I'm buying into from my previous employer. Um, and it's almost 600 bucks a month, you know? Like I'm working part-time while I'm in school full-time. And while I'm also doing clinicals, like I literally don't have more time to work and the money I make barely pays for my health insurance. So it's like, you know, some of these fears feel a, a little bit realistic, but at the same time, you know, I live in Southern California. I live around and near huge population bases. Um, and I after having been out for these two years, even though I had this fear at the time, this fear really has gone down. You know, my, my self-confidence has gone up. My knowledge of my own wisdom and value and skills. Um, and especially once I get done with school, I'm going to get licensed. I'm going to be a licensed therapist. I will have that, those credentials behind my name. Um, I, I'm pretty confident that I'm going to be able to find adequate work. Um, but that was a fear that came up. I, I was afraid of having potential health problems down the road due to transition, um, which is, you know, that is still kind of a fear that's with me. Um, and I, you know, I'm not sure that we know scientifically, like super long term in terms of medical transition, you know, like what are the effects of hormone therapy if a person takes it for 30 years? Like, I don't know exactly if we will know that. Um, you know, I, I know that I started um, hormone therapy at age 39 or 40, right in there. And I will... Um, you know, probably be on it until my mid 50s. So I won't have the longest term. Um, I don't produce any testosterone at all myself uh, anymore. Uh, um, uh, enough said, um, which is a glorious, beautiful, wonderful thing. But also, that means I don't produce any primary sex hormones. So, you know, there may be a little bit of complication with that for me going forward. I may need to have some kind of, you know, hormone supplement of one sort or another um, in the long term, which, you know, may have health implications. I don't know. I mean, I know for trans women, we have a, a greater risk of breast cancer than, you know, cisgender men. Um, but we also have a much lower risk of prostate cancer because we either have our testosterone, uh, you know, like permanently de depressed or eliminated altogether. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, that one felt for me like easy to rationalize away. Another fear that I had was, you know, what if I'm wrong? This might, this may have been the biggest fear. I, I don't know if it was the biggest fear, but it was, 
it was really high. No, it wasn't the biggest fear. I still have more that were the biggest fear. But what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if I'm not right about that? What if I'm just a cross-dresser, for example, was a thought that came to mind from time to time. Um, Even though, uh, for me, cross-dressing was not um, like a sexual thing. It wasn't like a fetish, but... um, you know, what if, what if I'm a cross-dresser? That was a fear that, uh, you know, there's this trope that goes around, you know, a, a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body. And, um, you know, for me, I never really felt like that. You know, for me, it, it often, it, it felt more like, um, that either like sort of a combination of envy and just deep, incredible sadness and and longing and uh and wishing and like thinking about like I wish that I could go back in time and be born again uh you know in the proper body with the proper roles and so on um but but what so you know there there are some ways in which my story didn't fully match up with the narrative that I'd heard and so that you know led me to think well what if I'm wrong what if I'm self-deceived what if I'm you know what if I'm what if I end up finding out I'm wrong and I have to detransition? Um, you know, I had some, there was one person who is you know kind of a part of our life, um, who is like a long term friend who who postulated that I that my gender dysphoria was due to all the trauma that I've been through in my life, and I and I've been through like quite a bit of trauma. It's true, um, and so like what if what if that person was right? You know, what if what if I'm wrong? That was huge. And, you know, when it comes to that sort of fear, it's, it's hard because it's like we can do as much work as we can do, but ultimately transition ends up being a leap of faith. It becomes something that we trust is the right thing for us. And we can do little steps and we can do things to test it, but eventually we have to jump in with both feet. And, um, and we might be wrong. Usually trans people are not wrong. You know, I, I was, uh, I think at one point on Reddit early on, I asked the question, you know, like how common is it, how common is it for cisgender people to like obsess about the other gender and to, you know, have all of these deep conversations about you know, do I have dysphoria? Do I not? What do I want? What do I not want? Um, how common is it for, um, you know, cisgender people to spend years and years and years thinking about what if I was born into the other body or what if I could transition or being obsessed with trans people. And the answer is like, that's kind of a trans person's type of activity. You know, like, I mean, I think it's fairly common for cis people like to, to, you know, fleetingly think about, oh, well, I would like to be, you know, the op, you know, the other gender for the, for a day. And I'm sorry for being kind of binary with it here. I, I don't think that gender is a binary, but I'm speaking uh, as if it is. But like, you know, what if I could live in a different gender? Like, it'd be fun to, to try that for a day. But like, I, I'm comfortable with, I, I just, I am what I am, right? Um, so there were some of those, but like, gosh, um, 
it ended up being a leap of faith, right? And I mean, that's like, I've done three parts now of am I trans? And am I trans is really attending to this fear. What if I'm wrong? How do I know? How do I know for sure? Um, some of the other fears that I had that came up that I had to deal with, and we're kind of rounding the corner here where I want to let you go for the day. Um, but I had fears about um, my family, my friends, um, you know, what if they abandon me? You know, um, I had fears about family members who had been accepting turning around and changing their minds, which is like, uh, you know, some deep, some deep anxiety shit, <laughs> honestly, like, um, yeah, like I had people in my life that I had told and who had been really sweet and, and accepting and loving and curious and supportive, you know, like my wife, for example. And, um, I had fears that they would change their mind or that they would be different or they would come to me and like, whatever. Um, uh, that was a lot. Um, some of those fears have been realized. Uh, many of them have not. And one of the amazing things in terms of, you know, social and friends is that I have so many new friends that have come out of the woodwork that I, that I wouldn't have been friends with ever before as a pastor. I mean, I was a conservative Christian pastor, like queer people did not want to be friends with me. And, and I understand why, and I don't blame them. Um, but I was missing out on all these relationships. Um, I had a friend, this wasn't a fear that I really embraced, but I did cry about it for a while. I had a friend who said to me, what if it's the devil? You know, you, you have everything going for you. You have so many things. This is like early on before I transition. What if it's the devil? What if you're being tempted to transition? Um, and I spent a lot of time crying because I was afraid I might lose that friendship, honestly, because it felt pretty transphobic, <laughs> felt pretty entrenched in that evangelical worldview. And that felt really, really, really scary to run up against that. Um, I'd written a book. Uh, I talked about this last week on the show. I wrote a book about keeping secrets and in that book, I did not talk about gender dysphoria whatsoever. And so I, I was afraid that I would be like the laughing stock of all the people. You know, several hundred people bought the book. I, I had this Kickstarter campaign and all this stuff and sold, I think, between three, three and four hundred copies, which was a lot for me. And um, I was so afraid of being laughed at after writing this book about secrets, about me having secrets, but not telling the secret. Um, and that, that fear really hasn't materialized. I mean, if, if they're laughing, they haven't let me know that they're laughing. Um, and honestly, if they're laughing, like, <laughs> fuck them, you know, like, <laughs> God, uh, you know, I have grace on myself. I know why it was the way that I was. Um, finally, um, the last fear that I want to talk about is a fear that's been a fear that's been like a, a through line fear that's been with me like for a really long time. And that's the fear of being wrongfully accused. And for a lot of years I had fears of getting accused. Like, like when I was a pastor, I, I always was so scared of being in a 
room where it was only me and um, another person, especially if that other person was younger, like was a teenager or a child, uh, I was always so afraid. And I was very judicious about not being alone with people in those circumstances. Like if, if I had a student come in and meet with me, I would leave the door open and make sure that the secretary, that there was a secretary there or I had one of my colleagues there, or we would meet out front, like we would meet on the front steps so that we were out in public. Um, or we would meet in a group where there would be two or three students and me. Um, I had this huge, crazy, crazy, crazy fear of being wrongfully accused because I, I, I became a pastor during this time where there were, um, you know, like the, the report, the spotlight report out of Boston of all these priests who had been pedophiles and had sexually assaulted children and done all this stuff. And it was like, I like this is probably my own issue and this is probably um, something that I need to take to therapy. I don't know. But um, I, I, I don't know. I guess there was some part of me that believed that there were accusations that weren't true. And we know as a society, we know that that's not the case. We know that Almost always when someone comes forward with an accusation, it's true, like 99.99% of the time. Um, but I still had this, uh, as a pastor, I had this sense of vulnerability. I had this sense of fear that I would be wrongly accused. And, um, and so problematic as that belief might be and indicative of some fucked up misogynistic uh paternalistic horseshit that was embedded in me, that was still a fear that I had. And, and so I carried that with me through a lot of my life. And I had thoughts about God, like, what if I got, you know, accused of this or that? Or what if I went to jail and all this stuff? Um, but I think really, those fears were rooted in my trans identity. I think that I had this thing going on that I wasn't able to admit to myself or to anyone else. And, you know, in our, like, at least in American culture, like, um, trans women are very often looked at with suspicion. Uh, we're looked at as deceivers. We're looked at as predators. We're dressing up in a dress so that we can have access to women's spaces. That's the narrative. That we're sick, gross, old, fetishy, fetishistically uh, old men who um, are trying to prey on women, essentially. And that couldn't be farther from the truth for me and for all the trans people that I know. Um, but yet that's in the cultural zeitgeist, right? You know, like the silence of the lambs, uh, uh, those kinds of stories um, have gone a long ways to paint trans women as being predators. Um, likewise, trans men are frequently painted as, you know, under the super misogynistic lens of, oh, they're just confused. Poor thing. Oh, you're, you don't, you, you don't trust yourself you know, you're so, you, you, you've gotten fooled. You're, you're the victim of the media. It's, it's more of that. It's, it's not a suspicion as much as it's like a dismissal. 
And these are built on, you know, uh, cultural tropes of gender. It's built on the gender hierarchy. And this idea that, that whatever sex you are assigned at birth, that's what gender you are and you have to be. Um, and so I had a lot of fear that I had to process that had to do with, with fears of being wrongfully accused, fears of being seen as a predator, fears of being accused of, you know, like I remember having this fear that I talked about in therapy one time, they're going to think that I'm a pedophile, um, which is like, no, but also like fucking hell. Like, look at Twitter. You have, uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds thousands of people who are shouting at trans people saying you are groomers and and you know grooming is a word that we use to describe the activity of pedophiles um so you know sadly this is a fear that in some ways has been realized um i i think that there are some small fraction of people out there who not just don't understand me, not just reject me on religious moral grounds, not just are weirded out by me, but who are actively accusing me and people like me of being some kind of predator. And that, I was really, really afraid of that. And I, you know, there are ways in which I still feel afraid of that because it's like horrifying to have that kind of false accusation thrown your way. Um, at the same time, there's also something that feels, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't think empowering is the right word, but I, I do feel like the only response that I have to that is to be brave. And I feel proud about how brave I am. And you know, I I talked about a lot of fears and I have a lot of courage. You know? I'm a very fucking strong, brave woman. Uh, to quote the song, I can't think of even the artist or the name of the song, but there's the song of a really brave, fucking strong woman. God damn it, I am. And I'm still here. And it was worth every bit of blood, sweat, and tears to face these fears. It was worth it. And I'm so glad I'm here. And I'm so glad that I did. And I'm so glad that I get to be with you. So there it is. There it is. My name is still L. And I still am a transgender woman talking. Thanks so much for uh, listening to the program. Thanks for joining me, for tuning in. Um, I so appreciate your emails and feedback and messages. Um, I really, really appreciate those of you who have written reviews. Um, there have been a few reviews that are a little bit nasty from um, some haters out there. So, um, if you have a moment, I know that it's kind of a pain in the butt. It makes you sign in and whatever, but if you could leave a rating and a review, I would appreciate it. Um, but thanks so much for, uh, 
joining me each week. Um, We're still plowing forward, and I will see you again uh, next week. Thanks again.